1: Diving diving deep, deep diving deep into all things Texas both on and off the field. He is Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey
0: everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. It is great to be with you. I of course am Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast. Sports Radio 610 in the mornings, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, the great John McClain, our senior columnist for SportsRadio610.com. And, John, the, the people have been consuming our preview podcast over the last couple of weeks. You and I are back in the saddle, hitting that runway to uh, Texans training camp next week. So, very excited. It's good to see you, my friend.
2: It's good to see you. I'm excited about training camp, too. D'Amico Ryan's is first, I'm writing a column for Sports Radio 610's Website about ten things they need to achieve in training camp for the start of the regular season. I got it, Astros because you know the Astros are always news, and uh, they've had some unbelievable games at the Angels. And so, I'm uh, I'm pumped and ready to go. People are fired up about sports in Houston. Rockets just made the championship game in the summer league in Las Vegas where they lost. To Cleveland. So things are very positive with our pro sports teams.
0: Yeah, I would say, yeah, everything's cumulatively. Everything seems to be trending up. So this is really good. And even the Astros, you and I'll get to the Astros in in just a minute. I wouldn't, I don't know if they're necessarily trending up, but we'll get into how we're feeling about both of them. Couple uh, items of business off the top here before we get into the podcast. There's a lot for us to get into on the pod today here on uh, the Utopia football podcast. First, a quick reminder, if you're just getting the podcast because you clicked on one of our videos or because you clicked on a link on one of our Twitter feeds, if you if you like what you hear and you want to make sure that you get this podcast each and every episode when it drops, uh, go to the Odyssey app, make sure you subscribe, uh, or if you go wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to the podcast. And we're we're so close to the preseason starting now. This is the time to get on board with the Utopia Football Podcast. Nobody will be more immersive than this podcast when it comes to... The Texans, both on game day and throughout the week uh, here on the Utopia Football Podcast. So subscribe to the podcast. And John, for people local in Houston that listen to the podcast, I'm very excited about this. This is something that that I know you've done in the past with our good friend Steve Fronterhaus, who runs the Houstonian here in town. Um, but I'm excited to get to do this with you as sort of an adjunct to the podcast. The Utopia Football Podcast is going on the road for the first time for an event at the at the Houstonian uh, Hotel for our 2023 Hard Knocks dinner.
2: I'm fired up about it. It's August 24th. It's right uh, when people are going to be pumped about the regular season. Uh, I just tweeted about it. If people can go to Houstonian's website, Houstonian.com, and find out more details, or they can look at my Twitter account. It's going to be fun. We'll talk Texans. We'll talk college football, Astros. And anything anybody wants to talk about, you and I did this. I did it three times. You and Seth did it with me once. I had each of our our morning guys, our midday guys, and our afternoon guys, and it was a lot of fun hanging out with fans, talking all sports Houston. So we're going to do it on August 24th. We help people come. Uh, we do a meet and greet. They put on a great show over there, fantastic food, and uh, we look forward to it.
0: Yeah, we can't just do a drive-by on the food, John, because this is uh, the the food that Steve house and the staff put together for the people that come to this thing. It's an amazing spread. It is really good. It's buffet style, uh, carving station, the whole nine yards. When we went there last time, and I know he's going to do it upright again. Um, so we, yeah, we can't just we can't gloss over the food. The food is a very very big part of this event. As two guys who like to eat. There's not as much of us to love anymore back in the day, but we both still love to eat. This is a great event, not only for a little fellowship and some football and some good conversation, but some great food as well. I can't wait. Yep, 159 bucks per person, and that gets you the, the event, the conversation, the meet and greet. And we take pictures, the whole nine yards, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun, and the food's going to be delicious, and it's a beautiful atmosphere. It's in the hearth room at the Houstonian. So you can go to the Houstonian website, um, and, uh, and as John mentioned, check out, uh, his social media. I've been retweeting everything John's been putting up about this. So if that sounds like an event you would want to go to. And I promise you the last few we did a few years ago, uh, were great. We did them pre COVID. These are the first ones we've gotten to do. This is the first one you and I have gotten to do as a podcast, John. So if you like what you hear on this podcast, but you want to do it in a more intimate setting, uh, and get to talk to us in person and enjoy some great food. Uh, we'll see you at the Hard Knocks dinner on August 24th at 7 p.m. All right, John, you ready to get into some of the happenings going on around the uh, the world of Houston and the NFL and so forth here? John, you know I'm always you're ready. always ready. I know you're always ready. Um, let's, John, let's start with DeAndre Hopkins because I think you know that as you've mentioned every, every time we've brought up Hopkins on this podcast, he still moves the needle quite a bit um, here in Houston. And since you and I um, last did a podcast. Uh, he has agreed to a deal with the Tennessee Titans. Two years, $26 million. There's another $6 million he can earn in incentives. He immediately becomes their best wide receiver in Tennessee, which is not saying much. It's, it's not a deep wide receiver room at all. But I've got a few angles I want to get your take on here. First, since we've got a lot of Texan fans listening, who I'm sure all still love DeAndre Hopkins, um, now that we know what the market ended up being for Hopkins, you know, years and and cost-wise, and I know you've pointed out that the Texans really were not in this market at all from the beginning. Now, now knowing what it was, is this a market the Texans should have been in with DeAndre Hopkins, given their wide receiver room needs?
2: Absolutely not. They didn't want two 31-year-old starting wide receivers when they're still rebuilding. The third year of Nick Casario's rebuilding plan, and uh, they're they're rebuilding with young guys, and they have some veterans that they signed, but not long-term contract. So I think if you had Robert Woods and Hopkins as your starting wide receivers, that's not what you're into. And I'm glad he wanted 15 million a year, then it went down to 10. And I think his agent used the Patriots. I'm amazed at how little the national media and the New England media gave any credence to about how bad the relationship was between Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins. Now, maybe, Time and money healed those wounds. But those guys, they had a terrible relationship, and that's why he got traded to begin with. So I never thought he was going there. He should have gone to Tennessee. Mike Vrabel was with him four years. Tim Kelly, their offensive coordinator, was with him six years. They know he's not going to practice much. They don't care because they want him on game day. And if he went to New England, a lot of the same problems O'Brien and he had Here in Houston, they would have had there in Foxborough. So I'm not surprised he went there. I did a Nashville talk show this morning. They asked me, do you think he can be as great as he used to be? Well, we're not going to know. He's missed 15 games the last two seasons. He's had two injuries and a six-game suspension. He just turned 31 last month. You know, his game was never about speed. I told him he's not going to beat anybody down the boundary or run post patterns. He's all about getting off the line, running routes, and making using his hands to make great catches. And I think he'll have a profound positive effect in their second-year receiver Traylon Burks. And uh, and Derrick Henry is going to run the ball most of the time. They're not going to be a prolific passing team. You know, AJ Brown he's a game breaker. He's the Texans know well. He beats you down the field. Ops going to be a different receiver to play inside and outside. And hopefully he's 100. percent He doesn't get hurt again. So I wish him the best of luck, and because uh, I always like covering him, and he's going to look good in that Columbia blue.
0: Okay, we'll we'll get to the Columbia blue in just a second, specifically the uniforms in just a second. But I want to stick with Hopkins and the the on the field impact. And you you talk a lot to folks up in Tennessee. You do several media appearances per week up in Tennessee uh, with the Titans being the former Oilers. And I'm curious, are the people that you talk to about this, John, having any sort of uh, aging wide receiver PTSD over this right now? You know, this is Hopkins age wise and productivity wise kind of lines up with some guys that they've historically brought in going all the way back to Carl Pickens in 2000, but Randy Moss in 2010, more recently, obviously, and probably the, you know, the, the easiest comparison for, for people listening to this podcast to make would be Andre Johnson. In 2016, after Andre's year in Indianapolis, Um, Andre left the Titans halfway through that season and retired. Um, Julio Jones, probably the more recent, definitely the more recent analogy to this. Um, What makes Hopkins different than those other aging receivers that brought with them a lot of fanfare, um, but ultimately fizzled out?
2: Talk show I did this morning, their former receiver, Derek Mason, is one of the hosts. And he was asking me, and I said, well, you know, you you played the position in the NFL. You know what happens when you get to 30. You don't have the great speed anymore. He never had great speed, so that's not going to be a big deal. But the key for him is to, does he still have this quickness? And Derek Mason hit me up with some stats about how much he played in the slot at Arizona. And, uh, you know, that's about quickness. And I think a lot of that was more about him getting double teamed and moving him around and I think based on speed was never his game if he's healthy then uh, and plus you know he's going to be motivated he's got a lot to prove put a thing out on Twitter about uh, the people the naysayers the haters so it shows he's already thinking about that but uh, I think Hop and I think playing with Ryan Tannehill he's never going to have the numbers he had here 100 catches they asked me if I thought he'd catch 80 balls I said no I said Derrick Henry's going to probably lead the league in rushing, and uh, plus they got Burks. They're going to try to prove that Burks was a good choice in the first round. Hop will get all the double teams. Burke, B- B- Traylon Treyline Burks will get the single coverage, and and uh, he's the one that should benefit the most from having Hopkins on that roster.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, to me, it's to me that's the case of a big reason they're signing Hopkins is because they need. Traylon Burks to have less attention. That's an indicator to me that that Burks selection is already a bit of a failure, right? I mean, they traded that pick. They traded AJ Brown for the package that included that pick. They were hoping to do what Minnesota did, I think, with trading Stefan Diggs and getting a pick that turns into Justin Jefferson. And they, they whiffed badly. AJ Brown's been great in Philadelphia. And now they're having to go bring in aging wide receivers to attract attention to free up uh, Traylon Burks. Well, I'm, I guess what are you just generally, John? Like, does this what are your thoughts on what the Titans are going to be this year? And does Hopkins move the needle? Does he change their trajectory as a team at all anymore?
2: I don't think one player in the NFL makes that big difference unless he's a game breaker. And the, Hopkins is not a game breaker. Ryan Tannehill played 12 games last season, then he got hurt. So if Hop's playing with Will Levis, they're going to run the ball. A lot if they want to play Levis near the end of the year because Tannehill's out of there after this season. And they could have found a way to keep A.J. Brown. You know, I think even though it's nothing's ever been said about why John Robinson was fired during last season, I think it all started to go downhill when he traded him. I don't think he talked to others about it. That's what I heard. He just did it. They said on TV, you could see Grable grimace. And, and you could hear everybody in Houston, Jacksonville, and Indianapolis cheering when A.J. Brown got traded by the Titans. So no doubt. Uh, I think that there's still going to be a running team. That's what Vrabel does. Uh, they hope that Hop can still draw double coverages. You never know. I can't wait till the Texans play him. Derek Stingley Jr. was drafted third overall to cover the opponent's best receiver. Yeah. And we'll see, hopefully he'll stay healthy we'll see what he can do against Hopkins
0: that'll be fun. well yeah i mean they play in week 15 and week 17 like I, i'd love to what are the odds that Hopkins and Stingley are both healthy for that given their both of their recent track records medically here along those lines john um look I, there's no media member that has more ties to both the team the former oilers and the fan base of the you know the, the oilers you know former oiler fans or maybe even still current oiler fans who root for the titans who knows than you, um, what do you think the reaction is going to be in for specifically Houstonians that are rooting for the Texans nowadays when they see Deandre Hopkins, possibly in week 15 in that oiler uniform,
2: I believe when they play up there, they're going to be wearing the throwback uniforms and Houston fans are going to, they already are, you know, infuriated that they would do that. And, uh, They've only worn them one time. That was in their first preseason game uh, when they moved and they were in Canton. And I was there covering them. It was weird to go in the locker room and see those Columbia blue jerseys. Fans up there, you know, they think their throwback uniforms are what they wore as the Tennessee Oilers their first two seasons before they were renamed the Titans. They don't think about Houston, but I think it's going to be great fodder for talk shows in Houston. I think it'll be great fodder for columnists, and I can't wait to talk about it. And And I think the media will stir it up even more. And uh, nothing would be better for the Texans, of course, to go up there and beat them when they wore Columbia Blue, uh-huh. even though the Texans don't give a damn. That was not their team or their colors.
0: John, the only thing like Hopkins, Hopkins wearing an Oilers uniform is like a walking billboard for all the bad memories of like recent and not so recent Houston football history. You got a reminder of the team abandoning the city. You got a reminder of the worst trade in the history all we need is jack easterby flipping the coin before the game doing the coin toss and it'll be just like that would be a great troll job by the titans just bringing jack easterby to toss the coin before the game and then we're good Yeah, you are in everybody's head in houston at that point
2: oh i think that would be now that part is not gonna happen you no know,
0: i think when they see hop
2: and in, in a no matter what uniform it is It just reminds everybody here that he was traded in the worst trade in Texans history, second-worst trade in Houston football history to Kenny Houston Mm -hmm. going to Washington. And and, uh, and if he has a great game, it will be worse. And who are they going to blame? They're going to blame Bill
0: O'Brien of and Jack Easterby. I'm sad we're not going to get to see an O'Brien Hopkins reunion. I was really looking forward to that. <laughs> that, would, that would have been fun. Um, all right. Well, John, we're going to do some for real or fugazes, as we always do. But let's mix in a little Astro Talk, because you and I haven't had a chance to talk about the Astros in quite some time. When we last did a podcast that would have included any Astro Talk, that was way back before the All-Star break. 52 and 42 right now, John. What's your – I guess just – overall feeling not about where this team could go like i think they're fully healthy they're a contender obviously but health has been a big issue but about where they are given everything that's been thrown at this team by the baseball gods injury wise underperformance wise and so forth what's your overall feeling about where they are right now
2: rangers came out of the all-star break red hot they won the first series they beat the rays they got the rays and the dodgers they're playing in arlington the Astros had the Angels by right Mar- Mar- after one of the biggest choke jobs in franchise history when they blew that nine to three lead and then twelve to nine lead and lost in ten. And when the Astros go to extra innings, they should just call off the game. They're terrible. They're one in seven. You know what though? The Padres, with all those great hitters, they haven't won an extra inning game. But you know they're they're a big disappointment, and <laughs> Astros are not when you consider all the injury problems they've had. And one of the issues I have with them is they're good players not producing. Bragman was in a terrible slump till he hit his home run uh, to help come back and beat the Angels. Uh, Jeremy Pena, he's no resemblance to what he was at the end of last season. Even though Jose Abreu has his moments, he's still hitting like 70 points less than he was last year. Corey Jokes, Chaz McCormick, those guys are hitting. We don't know when Urquidy's coming back, Altuve's coming back, Jordan Alvarez is coming back. We get our hopes up because they're supposed to be doing the minor league assignments, and so it may not be. until so maybe it's going to be the middle of August. Nobody knows. And the trade deadline's August 1st. Dana Brown say he needed a bat. Well, he do not need a bat. He needs another starting pitcher, and he needs a bullpen guy who can be counted on because Rafael Montero is awful, and then they're overworked. It is amazing. This team is 10 games over 500 with all the issues they've had with injuries and ineptness, and it's just – Dusty may be doing his best, Managerial job, he
0: might. I mean, I criticize a lot of the micro things that Dusty does. He does a lot of head scratching things. There's no doubt about that. Yes, he does. But but the overall results that he's getting right now, like if you if I mean if someone had li- listed everything that's happened to this team from the beginning of the year through now and who's been missing and how it's happened and and everything else uh, and the performance of guys who've been fully healthy like Bregman and Abreu who've been healthy all year long and both have underperformed, I, I would have said. That they are, I would have said, best case, they're where like Seattle is right now, like sitting at 500, kind of lurking, definitely needing to make moves. And this team needs to make moves. There's no doubt about that, just if nothing else to build depth. Because the conventional wisdom that I hear from everybody is, well, they are going to get Altuve and Jordan back. And, you know, and then once they get them back, like, okay, they're getting back the two guys that are injured all the time. (laughs) You know, like, what's to say they're not going to get injured again in September? Let me ask you this, John, real quick on the Astros here. Jordan is the guy they need back. There's no doubt about that. He's the guy that makes everything go offensively for this team, and they need him in the middle of that lineup. If you could pick one to bring back today, you'll get the other one back down the road. But you need bring one back today. Would it be Jose or or Jose Altuve?
2: Your Kidi because they're desperate for another starting pitcher, and Mauricio Dubon has done a really good job replacing Altuve and others. Let me ask you something. Yep. They're not going to get a good starting pitcher. They may be getting somebody who's mediocre, mm-hmm. and they hope they can bring out better. But would you give up right now? I'd give up Jake Myers and a Oh, yeah. But would you give up Corey Jules based on how well he's done, or would you give up Chaz McCormick, who has been on fire? And then they're going to have to give up some of their minor league outfielders. Brown said they will not give up Drew Gilbert but they're they they're loaded with minor league outfielders they're not loaded with pitchers we may see spencer agetti coming up piece of triple a wasn't double a but would you trade say you had to include jokes or mccormick who would you trade
0: i look Jules, chaz was just the AL Player of the Week this past week. So people are going to hear my answer and say, well, that's a recency bias because he had such a good series against the Angels. I would have said this two weeks ago. I would trade Corey Jolks in a heartbeat. I don't think Jolks is a guy who was factoring into this team's future at all, John, until spring training this year. And he's been good, but he's not been, like he's a rotational guy in the outfield right now. The big thing to me is Chaz is battle tested. We don't know what Corey Jolks looks like in October. We know what Chaz looks like in October. He took that job by the horns in October, and he made some of the biggest plays in the history of this baseball team in the postseason. To me, it's it's a fair question, but to me, it's a, it's an easy choice. And I would, if somebody wants, if 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 Dana Brown is sitting there across from somebody or on a Zoom with somebody, and they're down to it's Jolks or Chaz, that's an easy choice for me. Plus Chaz
2: is a much better fielder than Corey yeah. Jolkes is. And um but I'd trade Myers and Jokes if it helped. And if I had to include a young oh, yeah. guy too, because they do have some talent in A and A.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's and uh but they, they're gonna have to give up something to get. And uh, even though JP France and Brandon Belak have been better than anybody ever thought they would, you know, those guys shouldn't even be in the majors.
0: No, no, you can't you can't you can't go into the postseason with Brandon B like as one of your starters. You just can't. You can't can, Brandon-
2: we, can they go into the postseason with Hunter Brown and uh, Christian Javier pitching away? People acted like Javier was great. Five innings, three runs, four hits, seven Ks. That's not vintage Javier. And no. then Brown, I can't wait to see Brown because he both those guys were awful, and everybody acts like it's because they're overworked. If they think they're overworked now.
0: Wait till you get to
2: September.
0: Anybody who thought that Javier made progress is just looking at the box score in that start. And he did have more strikeouts. He hadn't been striking guys out before that, so that was a concern. But, John, the first inning of that game, he put up a goose egg, but Shohei Otani had two of the hardest hit foul balls I think I've ever seen in my life (laughs) and then ended up getting out because he hit an even harder line drive right at the shortstop who was shifted behind second. But, like – and then the next hitter up, I think it was uh, 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 Mickey. Uh, is it Moniak? The the Moniac. yeah. He hit one to the warning track. Like Javier, Javier's not fixed. He's not fixed yet, and not to the point where he needs to be. He's their number two starter. You know, he's he's. It'd be one thing if he was. It'd be one thing if he was their four or five. Most major league teams, that's what their four or five looks like. He gets knocked around, you know, two out of every five starts. If you get six innings out of him, great. This is a guy they gave 13 million a year to while he still had three years of arbitration left before the season and made him the number they anointed him the number two guy and let Verlander walk. Like it's 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 tricky, man. It's bad. (laughs) It's bad. That's the truth. All right. So that's our astro talk right there. So I, I would but I would say overall grateful that they are where they are right now, but they need to get some guys back and they need some they need, need some new faces in there. I think it's safe to say. All right, uh, John, you ready to do some for real or fugazis here? Always. It's been three weeks since we've done these, John. I missed it. All right, so let's do this. I got a few of these here. For those who don't know how this works, John and I do this uh, typically every first episode of the week. Every Monday, this is a Tuesday. We're recording this on a Tuesday just because of schedules and things like that. Um, I read a sentence as if it is the truth. To John and, uh, and get John's opinion on it, if he agrees that it is a truth, he says for real. If he thinks that the statement is silly and it's false, he says... gazy. gazy That's Italian for fake or counterfeit or phony. All right, John, here we go. Texans uh, announced this week the themes for all of their home games this year. Uh, the homecoming game, appropriately so, will be October the 1st against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's the day that J.J. Watt will be... Um, Will be enshrined in the ring of honor for the Texans. Uh, for real or Fugazi, there will be a huge throng of Steeler fans at that homecoming game on October the 1st.
2: I believe that's for real. I think they were probably buying those tickets. Uh, Steeler fans travel great. There's a lot of St- Steelers fans in the Houston area. And I also think when J.J. Watt comes out, they'll give him a standing ovation. One of the coolest things I've ever seen. In all my years, 48 years covering the NFL, was Watt's last game at Santa Clara against the 49ers. Yeah. They took him off the field, and the 49ers fans stood and gave him a great ovation and started chanting his name, J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt. And he's down there with his wife, Kayla and his kid, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was just it's just one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Coaches like D'Amico Ryans on the 49ers are clapping for him. And so I think Steeler fans will give him a huge ovation.
0: I think they'd do it even if T.J. Watt wasn't a Pittsburgh Steeler. It feels I like do that too. You know, I think that's the kind of fan base. It feels like that's the kind of fan base the Steelers have, John, that kind of respect the history of things like that. Am I Am I on bait? You know better than I do. Am I – Am I off base on that? Like, Steeler fans feel like respectful. They feel like Nebraska fans in college football. They respect the game.
2: They respect the game. They respect other fans. And the older ones remember the great rivalry they've had through the years when they were the same division as the Oilers. Frank O'Harris told me one time in Canton, he said, people always thought our biggest rival was Oakland because we played them so many times. No, the biggest rival and the toughest games, were against the Oilers during the Levy Blue era,
0: mm, yeah, a lot of history there for sure. Just as a one quick, one quick number to to back up the uh, Steeler game uh, hype, the, the 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 anticipation for that Steeler game on October the first at NRG Stadium, John, on SeatGeek, the lowest price ticket for the Steelers Texans game in Houston is a little over two hundred dollars, two hundred one dollars, I think, as of this morning. Uh, the next closest lowest price for a game at NRG Stadium this year, New Orleans, $62. That's the next closest one. The rest of them are all, even Deshaun Watson coming back like on Christmas Eve, the lowest price ticket is 36 bucks. You can go to the Jacksonville game for 22 bucks if you want to. You can't sit lower than the last row of that Steeler game for less than $200. So I think it's, it says a lot about Steeler fans for one, but it, I think it also says a lot about Texan fans wanting to be there to experience, you know, the the Texan culmination of JJ Watt. You know, the culmination will be in Canton in 5 years when you and your colleagues put him in to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But it, that that's a it's a hot ticket, John, is what I'm saying. Oh, you're muted, John.
2: I said you think you're getting in. He's getting in the Hall of Fame, huh?
0: Yeah. I think he is. I I'm going to stand on the table for him, John. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think he will be. If I'm, still, if I'm still here and I'm on the committee, when the time comes, I don't have to make much of a speech because he's a no-brainer. He and Tom Brady will go in together.
0: That'll be a fun class for sure. All right, next one, John, for Real or Fugazi. Um, we saw this week the deadline for franchise tag players signing an extension came and went, and the main guy's still left sitting out there with the franchise tag are running backs, specifically Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. I know Tony Pollard's out there too, but um, Barkley and Jacobs are the two that sound like could miss training camp because they want to get a better deal. We know that running back market, though, has gotten worse and worse for guys, especially in free agency with that franchise tag. For real or Fugazi, the NFL needs to do something to accommodate running backs in free agency.
2: Fugazi. Why does the NFL need to get involved in that? The players – You know, it's they, they, if you can, I see tight ends. Evan Ingram got a better deal than any of those backs. Is his career going to be with Jacksonville longer than them? I think what happened with Zeke Elliott, Zeke Elliott, I think, is just 27, and he's out there. He got cut. Cowboys are hoping he'll come back for almost the minimum. And uh, I don't know why this is, but it's like Matt Miller from ESPN said, it stirred up a ruckus among the backs you draft a guy you get him for five years then you franchise him for two you got him for seven then you let him go and draft another one and unfortunately for them that's the way it is and so many offenses are tailored around backs who are um, lesser picks but you still get results don't lead the league in rushing there's more second round picks who've done better than first it's like Damian Pierce he's When it comes contract time, he'll be glad he was not drafted in the first round.
0: Yeah, well, I think – and it's funny, too, John, with that. Like, (coughs) Barkley was the second overall pick in his class. Jacobs was a first-round pick. It's almost like the guys who are drafted higher have a higher expectation of what the second contract should look like, whereas, like, a guy drafted in the middle rounds – you know, let's take Damian Pierce as an example. Like, if Damian Pierce gets to a franchise tag, that's a huge success story. Like that's absolutely I'm not just saying for the Texans, I'm saying for Damian Pierce, that's a you know, because by the time he's gets at that stage, it's the franchise tag for running backs probably 12 million, 13 million, whatever. It's like eleven million right now. So it'll be a couple million more possibly when he gets there. Um, I just think I to me, the issue isn't just how fungible running backs are as an asset like how replaceable they are to me it's the it's the fact that that position has a specific age where guys drop off a specific odometer on running backs that that prevents the second contracts from being big you know like that's I I think it's more that than it is like well we'll just get this guy and swap him out for a fourth round pick because this guy yeah sure uh uh Miles Sanders is good but we'll just draft some guy, and he'll be 80% of them. I, I just think it's teams are way too scared that, uh-oh, I mean, we're signing this guy, and this could be the year that he falls off, uh, as opposed to other positions where, I mean, wide receiver has that, but the age is 31. It's not 27 like it is for running backs. You know what I mean? And then there's Derrick
2: Henry, and one of the reasons at 29 he's still going strong is he didn't get a lot of carries Yeah, his first three years in the league, and then he just exploded. And, uh, in fact, also – in fact, he's 6'3", and two, almost 250 it helps him withstand a lot of that punishment. And uh, at some point, maybe it'll go back. Maybe a running back will score three or four touchdowns in the Super Bowl when he's in the last year of his contract. I still think the Giants should have found a way to tie up Saquon Barkley. They'll have him two more years, and that's it. Then Because he drafted him so high. And you seems like you drafted him that high. You have high expectations, and he was a more important player than Daniel Jones. It's got to earn him, like crazy, to see Daniel Jones get all that money,
0: and he's stuck with ten
2: point one million.
0: Yeah, it it is. But you know, like Daniel Jones plays a position. You know, like it's. Unfortunately, Saquon Barkley is the accounts receivable clerk who's incredible at his job, and Daniel Jones is the director of sales who is is just okay at his job. But they pay a lot more. They're a lot harder to find. You know what I mean? It's. An, I mean, it's it's what it is. You know, it's, it, 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 it's accounts
2: receivable. That's it. no
0: disrespect to any of you accounts receivable clerks that listen to this podcast. We appreciate you. I'm sure
2: there'll be love tell the friends that you compared them to Saquon Barkley.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to buy – if you're if you're an accounts receivable clerk who listens to this podcast, mailbag at gmail.com. You email me. I'm not going to buy you a Saquon Barkley jersey, but I'm going to put all of you in a drawing where I'll buy a Saquon Barkley jersey and the winner gets it. How's that? <laughs> you have to prove you're an AR clerk, though. I need a business card or proof from your boss. A note. I need a note from your boss. That's what I need. Um, I just kind of hijacked the next one I had, John. You agreed with this. I the next one I had for real or for Gazi, best case scenario for Damian Pierce is a franchise tag in 2026. You said that's for real, right?
2: Well, that that um, well let me think about it. He'd be no Fugazy because he'd be better getting a long-term contract after three seasons, because you gotta figure if he got a four-year extension, he'd only be 27. So I think he'd be because if you get Anything more in one year, he's going to make more than the franchise.
0: Tag. No, I, I get I understand a long term deal is better than a one year franchise tag deal. I guess I'm, what I'm injecting into this, John, is a, a, um, a dose of reality. Like, do we think for a second that Nick Casario is giving a long term extension to a third year running back who has Damian Pierce's running style and presumably will have had a bunch of carries on the odometer? Do you I mean, do you think that what do you think the chances are that that happens? Well, I think they're
2: pretty good because they got Devin Singletary for a reason to take a lot of that wear and tear off of him. Yeah, maybe. And especially if he's only does two more years. I mean, he'll only be, what, like 24? Uh, so I think there's a chance he'll get a second contract unless his agent prices him out of the market. If he does, then they'll franchise him, and he ought to be happy with that.
0: I don't have the stomach for a contract dispute between the Texans and Damian Pierce, John. I like them both too much. I don't, I don't like seeing friends fight. I'm a, I'm a friend of the Texans and a fan of the Texans, and I am a, I and I love Damian Pierce. I can't say that I'm a friend of his other than I've interviewed him a couple times on the postgame show, but I would love to be his friend if he's listening to this podcast.
2: Now, I don't think uh, Damian Pierce will handle his contract negotiations like cornerback Steven Nelson, and I can't wait to see when we get to camp if Casario's wearing that blue vest. If he doesn't, I think I'll ask him if it's at the cleaners.
0: Dude. Yeah, you should. A, you should. B, if he's wearing a vest in this heat, he should be fired on the spot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll say. Nick, too hot for that blue guy?
0: He should be shirtless. I like if you, you wear the vest or shirtless, go skins. Go shirtless. Um, all right, John. Also along those lines, this is a for real or fugazi. This is kind of one that I got off the text page today when Seth and I were talking about the whole dynamics of the running back position for real or for Gazi, there is not an active NFL running back right now that will wind up in the pro football hall of fame for real or for Gazi? Uh
2: Oh boy. Um, if I had to pick one, it would be a, I'll say for real, but if I had to pick one, who's a possibility. It would be Derrick Henry. Yep. If he plays a couple more years and keeps compiling, the big numbers, because people have seen the kind of punishment he takes playing on a team that everybody knows is going to run the ball, and they stack the deck against him. Uh, you know, a guy like Bijan Robinson, it's too early to tell, but because of the way the position's devalued, you know, you're probably right.
1: Night Racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney. Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at (sighs) richmondraceway.com. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices, free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: Henry is the leading active ground gainer in the NFL, a uh, little over 8000 yards um i cuz i've looked up there's a handful, as you know, John, that are, that are you know, 10,000, 11,000 yards or more that are retired that still aren't in the Hall of Fame, but will be. You know, the, Adrian Peterson, I would imagine, will be a first or second ballot Hall Absolutely. of Fame. Absolutely. Uh, Frank Gore, I don't know where you stand on Frank Gore um, and what his candidate – he's the third all-time leading rusher, and yet he was an all-pro, I think, once his entire career. Because he played so many years. Yeah, so Gore is out there. You know, like Fred Taylor is out there. Guys like that um, – so I think Adrian Peterson might be the only one who's retired in, of that ilk that's going in. So we may be. It may be a while. Once Peterson's in, it might be a long time. I'm curious, John did you did you see or hear about the interview that Corey Dillon did about the Hall of Fame?
2: Oh yeah, he's mad about the Cincinnati Bengals Hall of Fame and, the pro, and the football pro football Hall, of, Hall fame. of Fame. Yeah, he's he he'd be He deserves to be in the Bengals Hall of Fame, but they do something I've never seen. They let the fans vote. <laughs>
0: Okay. That's his complaint. Yeah. You know what? It's probably a valid complaint. (laughs) Um, Has he, has his name, I I guess he's never been even a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Does his name ever come up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Not that I can remember. Okay. I mean, he's, you mentioned
2: Fred Taylor. He's dead because he's got over 10,000 yards rushing. He was a really good receiver. There's a big push for him a lot. Roger Hmm. Cray, he's back. He's a senior now, Pete Brinky Waters, but those guys didn't get in in their 20 years of modern eligibility. Now they're trying to – their proponents are trying to get them in as seniors, but yeah. it's hard.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, two more, John. Um, the Astros, for real or Fugazi? The Astros will be in first place in the AL West by the time the trade deadline rolls around on August the 1st.
2: Fugazi. I think the Rangers – are red hot. They've got hitting. It's consistent. You know, they, Rolas Chapman has been pitching great. He has. He has been tremendous. He's really good. Three. That was a great trade with Kansas City.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, they're going to shore up their bullpen. They got a minor league system that allows them to trade some prospects. I think they're going to, because they've been bad for a while, they've been able to stockpile talent which the Astros have not. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is losing your first and second round picks no in back to back years because of the scandal. Yep. But I think the Rangers when the trade deadline rolls around, still be in first place. It's too bad. They're going to, when the Astros come home from this nine game road trip, they're going to play the Rangers for the last time this season.
0: At minute made. And then they play one more time Labor Day weekend, I think in, in Arlington. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Last time here uh, in Houston, for sure. Um, are you buying the Rangers as a suitor for Shohei Ohtani? Uh, no, no okay. not at all. You had to pick one team to get Shohei Ohtani. Or not, not, you think. So you think it's the Dodgers? Yeah, okay. That's who you would pick, and that's who you think it will be?
2: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people think he's going to give I, – I read a thing on Athletic talking about five to eight players for a rental. No. Nobody's going to give up five to eight players for a month or two. Even Steve Cohen wouldn't do that. Uh, I think the angels should trade him. And uh, one of the things I've been wondering is that all these endorsement deals that the angels make off of him and he makes off of companies in Japan. Would they want a rebate if the angels trade him Hmm. because the, the angels are making all this money from these deals? Or would has that already been written into the
0: I bet it's contract in it. yeah it's got to be they, those, those that, there uh, has to be some protection there right those are
2: smart people and yeah. so I it's, everybody thinks he's going to the Dodgers anyway the, the the key here is with Steve Cohen the Mets owner they've been a big disappointment and money's no issue to him when say show show you tony's going to get 550 million when he come back and say well I'll give you another 100 million would he go cross-country and play in New York? Or would he stay on the West Coast where he wanted to go begin with?
0: Yeah, I, that's probably a conversation for after the season with the Mets. They're just not in position to do anything this year. So no, no. It would be a waste for the Mets to trade five prospects for Shohei Otani and give him $600 million when they can just do that after. They're not winning the World Series with Shohei Otani this year. But I, the Mets, the Mets are number two on the odds board that I saw behind the Dodgers. I'll tell you one, John, that I was reading an article this week in The Athletic from Jim Bowden, who's a former GM, and he was listing the, the landing spots for Shohei Ohtani. And the number one spot he had, he's the only one I've seen have this, they're not that high up the odds board, but i think he made a great case for it, and it's Tampa Bay. Obviously, they're not going to sign Shohei Ohtani long term, but they've got the most flush minor league system with prospects, and they're already a really good baseball team. Like they, they like they might win it without Shohei Ohtani, but Shohei Ohtani if you know, if they've got the minor league players to do it. He's only owed like as of the trade deadline he'll only be owed like another 13 million dollars this season. They've got the money to do it reportedly according to the owners. I think that's an interesting one to to watch is is Tampa Bay, especially cuz they that could that could seal up the number one overall seed in the American league for them, which is, which would be really big. Everybody comes through Tampa at that point and they get a buy in the first round and all that. That's it. That was an interesting one to me. I'll just say that.
2: They should be motivated because they're on their way to their second worst record in July in team history. Yeah. They've been on a terrible plunge and, uh, and, and another one, he wouldn't resign there. He wouldn't resign the one I'm going to say but there's nobody loaded with more great prospects than Baltimore.
0: Yes, and I agree. The
2: Orioles are 22 games over 500. Isn't it amazing? Yankees last place, first time since 1990. And uh, Baltimore is loaded. And uh, I read that Jim Bowden piece, and he's the one that was saying five to eight players. There's no way that's going to happen. And and Otani's representatives have already told teams there's no way He's going to sign a new contract with a new team now. He wants to test the market.
0: I said, John, today on Payne and Pendergast, that the best approach for the Angels would be, because I don't think he's re-signing. I definitely don't think he's re-signing if they just hang on to him and let the season fitter away. Like, there's no way him sitting there on a non-playoff Angels team is going to be like, yeah, let's re-sign here. I think the Angels have a better chance of keeping Otani long-term. If they trade him to the team that he absolutely. wants to go to, absolutely, bring in a bring in a, a a bunch of prospects and then try to resell to him. Hey, man, we took care of you when we said we would. We're better. Look, at, look how much better this team is. You get to stay in L.A. You know, you you, you know your way around the building already here and all that stuff. Um, you know who your teammates are. There's no burn-in period where you're going to get to know. You know, it's your. I I compared it to Indecent Proposal, John. Did you you remember that movie with uh, of course. Jimmy more in, in my analogy. Shohei Otani was Demi Moore. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Angels are Woody Harrelson, the bankrupt <laughs> architect who are just is looking to get assets. He just needs currency at that point. And so he he is approached in a Vegas casino by let's call Robert Redford the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Los Angeles Dodgers say, you know what? I think five to eight prospects could buy love. And Woody Harrelson says, I don't know. And he says, Oh, I think it could. OK, fine. And he sends Shohei over to Robert Redford slash the Los Angeles Dodgers and then just sits and prays and hopes that, unlike Demi Moore, Shohei doesn't fall in love with the Dodgers. Although she eventually came back to Woody Harrelson in the end of the movie.
2: And, right, the most... and their marriage was never the same.
0: No, I wanted a sequel. Seth said it today. He's like, we needed a sequel where we got to see the therapy, the years of therapy after that. <laughs> All right. Last one, John. Speaking of Hollywood. For realer Fugazi, noted award-winning actor John McClain is feeling the pinch of the actor strike right now.
2: I certainly am. That's a that's a for real. I'm on strike. Of course, I've been on strike since 2008. But I support my fellow actors and writers, and I feel comfortable not accepting any offers for new movies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sure that the likes of Harrison Ford and Fran Drescher and all the other actors I've seen opining on this strike are glad that they have your support. <laughs> oh, do you?
2: I should you, go walk the picket line. You
0: should. you should. You should fly to LA. <laughs> that would be incredible. <laughs> that would actually be a hell of I've a I've got piece my SAG guard. I know you do. I know you do. I, yeah. No, that's. uh. I, I think it's funny, John, like I I get like the fight is really for the ninety nine point nine percent of actors who are, you know, have multiple jobs. And, you know, like I just think it's funny that they make the face that they try to invoke sympathy for the actors by making like these huge multi gajillionaire actors the face of it. Like when like I literally saw Fran Drescher doing it, Fran Drescher probably makes 20 million a year on residuals from the nanny from 15 years ago. Yeah. And she's like the face of the, she's like the face of this strike. Like I, like they don't like, there's no other, there's no other, I guess, other than professional sports where the face of it is, you know, Tom Glavin was the face of the work stoppage in 1995 or whatever. So that's what I compare it to. Like people are going to be like, all right, so are we supposed to shed tears for, you know, for Tom Cruise that he's getting mistreated on mission impossible 12 or whatever he's on right now? It's just funny to me.
2: I heard he got eighty million for that movie.
0: Eighty million. Yeah. See, that's the problem. He Needs to spread some of that wealth. Eighty million. Have you seen it yet, John? I did. What'd you think? I liked
2: it. I didn't think it was the greatest, but yeah. he's sixty-one years old. He's doing things that, of course, that are preposterous. But I want to see more of Ving Rames and Simon mm-hmm. Pegg. But um, it was uh, it was interesting. It always is. But it's just nonstop. And I can't wait to see Oppenheimer. And I can't wait to see the Justified, the new Justified sequel on FX. But Oppenheimer has gotten universal praise. A lot yeah. of young people may not care about it because it had to do with the atomic bomb in World War II. But mm-hmm. I guarantee older people are going to want to see
0: it. Yeah. The movies seem to be getting back to where they're better than they Like post COVID, the movie scene was. Atrocious. It was it was really bad. Have you I saw the Elvis movie after we went to Graceland on our trip? Um, we watched the Elvis movie the next night. Have you seen the Elvis movie?
2: Oh, I saw that one the first day it came out. I loved it.
0: Yeah, it was really good. I had no idea. I, I didn't know the Colonel was that big a scumbag. It was really more a movie about the Colonel than it was about Elvis. It, 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 What'd you think?
2: Tom Cruise took a lot of heat for doing that part. They didn't like his accent, even though it was real the way Parker talked. They just didn't like his character at all. And uh, I thought Austin Butler did an incredible job.
0: I uh, I actually went and, s- and sought out an old interview with the colonel, John, uh, on Ted Koppel from back in 1987. They were doing like a 10-year Elvis, uh, like, so, like some sort of like big Elvis, show, something the colonel would have done. You know, like he was a Carney basically. So he yeah. had all this Elvis memorabilia, and it was the 10-year anniversary of Elvis's death. So he had people coming out, paying X amount to take their picture with different Elvis stuff. So he did an interview with Ted Koppel and I'm like, damn, Tom Hanks freaking nailed that. <laughs> he, he was on target with that accent and everything.
2: People hate it. There's many movies that we've seen Tom Hanks in where people hated him.
0: Not that, that I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I, this is by far the most despised character. I think I've ever seen Tom Hanks play. He's usually, he's usually the baby face in all these things to use a, a wrestling term. Um, all right, so uh, James Jackson, our producer, by the way, is telling us in the chat not to mix him in with the generation that won't appreciate Oppenheimer, John. James yeah. is going to appreciate Oppenheimer. Well, it's because James is intelligent. He is, he's, and he's a great producer, too, and this is where we wrap things up by thanking James for producing this Utopia Football Podcast, thanking all of you for listening, downloading, clicking subscribe, going to the Odyssey app, most of all, telling a friend, and we spread the word, and training camp begins next week. And, John, will do one more of these later this week. It's great to catch up with you again, my friend.
2: I look forward to seeing you at the Houstonian, and thank you very
0: much. All right, yes, the Houstonian, August the 24th. Go to – is it Houstonian.com, John? Is that the –
2: Houstonian.com.
0: Houstonian.com if you want to sign up for the Hard Knocks dinner. Great dinner and a night of talking football with uh, me and John McClain. For our producer, James Jackson, and for John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see all of you later this week for another episode of Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.